The reading is from Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. And if you've got a church Bible, it's on page 1173. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, You were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do? to do the works God requires. Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, in that reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul says that we are powerful. Kirsty talked about power at the beginning of the service. So here's a question. Just turn to the person nearest you, Um, and just ask them, do you feel powerful? Okay? Just turn to the person next to you and ask them, do you feel powerful? (laughs) 
Well, I don't know how you got on, and I won't go all round the room asking what you answered. But I think that most of the time, actually, we don't feel very powerful. In fact, we probably feel more like powerless. We look at our world and we see poverty and disease, we see wars and violence, we see a widening inequality between rich and poor, we see refugees in Calais desperately trying to get into the country, some of the jobless in our communities lacking aspiration and and passing that hopelessness onto their children, we see services, public services being squeezed to the point of collapse, and we feel powerless. What, What difference can we make? And yet, the Bible tells us that Christians are somehow powerful. Paul calls it, in verse 19, God's incomparably great power for us who believe. And so there seems to be a mismatch between what we feel, probably fairly powerless, and what the real situation is that Paul tells us, that as Christians... So as Christians, we can feel disappointed that our faith feels perhaps ineffective in changing the things that need changing. But the good news is that we're not alone. Paul wrote this prayer, because that's what it is, this passage from his letter to the Ephesians, this is a prayer. He wrote it because he clearly believed that the churches he was writing to had not fully grasped the great power that was available to them through their faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at this prayer and hopefully discover what he meant by this power. To ask, what is it for? And how to access it for living out our lives for the purposes of God. So let's just have a moment of prayer before I continue. Lord Jesus... Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help me to speak and give us all ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So, let's turn to the passage. And uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the first half of chapter one. And we thought about the excuses that we make in life, the if Onlys, if you remember, the, the, the reasons we come up with for our rather poor efforts at being disciples of Jesus. And we realize that we have no good excuses because, as Paul tells the churches, they already have every spiritual blessing in Christ. In other words, he says, you've got everything you need. And so this week, as we look at the second half of chapter one, we join Paul in this prayer in which he prays in verse 17, that God will give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they would know God better. And he prays specifically that the eyes of their hearts will be opened so that they'll know three things that he lists in verses 18 and 19. Firstly, the hope to which he has called them. Secondly, the riches of his glorious inheritance. And thirdly, the incomparably great power for us who believe. So firstly, the the hope to which he has called them. And, And John Stott, the biblical scholar, in his commentary on this passage, says that this is the altogether new life that we have in Jesus Christ, in which we know and love and obey and serve Jesus, and in which we enjoy fellowship with one another, 
and look beyond our present circumstances to the glory which one day we will share with Jesus. This, he says, is the hope to which we've been called. Secondly, the riches of his glorious inheritance reminds the Christians just what an amazing future we have to look forward to. Paul was the first to admit that neither he nor any living person can know exactly what our heavenly inheritance will be like. As he said in his first letter to the Corinthians, now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. But we do know that we will see God, that we will be with Jesus, and that we will enjoy a fantastic fellowship with all who have died in the faith. And Paul prays that we will know these things more and more deeply, to a greater and greater degree. But the third thing he prays for them to know is this incomparably great power for all who believe. And actually, power is a major theme in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, Biblical scholar Tom Wright reflects that Ephesus itself, the town of Ephesus, was a seat of power, um, a major center of imperial influence, and also a center of religious power. All sorts of cults and beliefs flourished and, and frequently focused on power. The power to make things happen in the world, to influence people, to gain wealth or manipulate events for one's own benefit by sacrificing to this God or that God. Christians, of course, can fall into that trap even today, imagining that our prayers are buying favor with God rather than praying for his will to be done and his kingdom to come as Jesus taught Don't get me wrong, of course, praying for our daily bread or praying for protection from evil um, or healing for someone who's afflicted is exactly what Jesus did and taught. But perhaps when we begin to pray for an A star in an exam for someone who has done no revision and missed half the classes, then maybe we're asking for magic rather than praying in God's will. But for Paul, real power the greatest power of all, verse 20, is the mighty power that God displayed when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. And far too many Christians today, I think, just as in Paul's day, are quite unaware that this power exists and is available to us who believe. And I freely admit that I forget that often all the time perhaps, that this power is real and available. When I see a person's faith come alive for the first time, when I see a life being transformed by the love of Jesus, then I remember. I remember for a while that the power of God's love is living and active. But I get lazy. I get bogged down in the routine stuff, the governance, the emails, all that stuff of life, and I forget. And so today's message is, remember that you are powerful. If your life is given over to Jesus, if it's surrendered to Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, you are powerful. At New Wine this week, one of the speakers was a man called Alan Scott, who leads the Vineyard Church in Coleraine, Northern Ireland, right up on the coast in Northern Ireland. And do you know, something absolutely extraordinary is going on there. 
the church there has discovered the power to change lives and transform a community. It's almost unbelievable, but in the last 18 months, no less than 4,000 people in that area, in the town, in the area around the town, 4,000 people have made first-time commitments or people who've fallen away from church have made recommitments and come back to faith through the ministry of that church. 4,000 people. Isn't that amazing? What's, what's the secret? What's going on there? Well, perhaps a clue was in a phrase that Alan used when he was speaking. He said, every town and city is hard to reach when the church stays in the building. In his church, everyone is encouraged to take the love of Jesus out to the people in the town. He gave us an example. He told a story of one of his church members recently was walking down um, the, 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 the causeway, the, the um, coastal pathway. And as they were walking along the coastal pathway, they looked down, they saw a shell lying beside the path, and they just felt a little nudge from the Holy Spirit that they were to pick up the shell and offer it as a gift from God to the next person they saw. Well, they picked up the shell and looked up, and lo and behold, the next person they saw was somebody bicycling towards them. And they thought, well, this is going to be a bit tough. How do I give it to them as they, as they go past? You know. But actually, the cyclist stopped beside the person. And, and so this church member plucked up his courage and, and said, look, you, know, I don't, you may think I'm a bit balmy, but I really feel that God's asked me to give you this shell uh, to, to remind you that, that, that he loves you. Anyway, rather, he wasn't told he was balmy and nuts. The man on the bicycle actually invited him back to his house. And he followed him back to his house, and he took him into his garage. And in his garage, there was a noose hanging from a beam because the cyclist had been planning to take his own life. And as a result of that visit, not only the cyclist came to faith and gave his life to Jesus, but also two other members of his family who were in the house at the time. And now they're coming to church. Isn't, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So back to the question, what's, what's the secret of what's going on there? Well, in one sense, at the simplest level, it's because a person is prepared to follow the nudge of the Holy Spirit to pick a shell up off the ground and to say, here's a gift from God. It's because the church members are prepared to share the love of Jesus with anybody outside of their church. And so I got to thinking, why am I not like that? You know, um, why, why, why perhaps are we, generalization of course, there are, there are some individuals here, are, I'm sure are wonderful at sharing their faith outside of church, but, but why are we in general perhaps not very good at doing this? And gosh, I'm the vicar, and if I'm not good at it, what chance do you stand? And so I ask myself, how do we, how do we change to be more like that? How do we change to become people who are prepared to share the love of Jesus in our communities? And you know, God is very gracious, because while I was at New Wine, I attended a seminar given by another church leader, a man called John McGinley, who, who is the vicar of Holy Trinity Leicester, which is another thriving, growing 
church that is going out to its community. And the seminar was on what he called missional discipleship. And as, as John said himself, missional discipleship is, in, 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 as a phrase, is a kind of oxymoron, really. Um, in other words, it's saying the same thing twice, because um, by definition, discipleship is meant to be missional. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. But the reality is that much of what we call discipleship in our churches is only a part of what discipleship is really meant to be. And I think that's true of of St. Matthew's. And that's my fault, or, or if to put it more positively, it's my opportunity, if you like, to help change what we do. You see, what John explained so simply, I think, is that discipleship has three parts to it. The first part is information. Learning about Jesus, learning about the love of God, learning what's in the Bible, learning the life-changing message of the gospel. And we're very good at that. We do it on a Sunday. We do it in our small groups. We do it in our connect groups. We do it. The problem is that many churches stop there at the information stage. But he went on to explain that there are two more stages. The second stage after information is what he called imitation, because Jesus not only taught his disciples about the kingdom of God and the wonderful Sermon on the Mount and in many other ways, but he then demonstrated it for them so that they could imitate him and learn to share the kingdom with everyone else. And the problem for most of us is we haven't got access to a good example of what living like a missional disciple looks like, and so we feel stuck and powerless instead of powerful. And so what we need is for those of us with more experience of sharing the love of Jesus with others to teach and demonstrate in practical ways how we do it so it can be caught by everyone else. That's the second stage, imitation. And then after the information and the imitation comes the innovation. Once Jesus had taught his disciples and then he demonstrated to them what it was like to share the kingdom of God with others, he then left them. He returned to his heavenly father and left them to innovate in their own particular situations what that would look like. But he didn't leave them empty-handed. He gave them the Holy Spirit, the power of God in them to carry on after he'd gone, to innovate under the Spirit's guidance in the different situations they found themselves in. So, although we have this incomparably great power in us, we don't feel powerful because we are not equipped. We're not prepared. We're good at stage one, information, and we should always keep on learning. But if we're to see the power of Jesus manifest in our lives, transforming our communities, we have to move on to imitating what Jesus did and then innovating in our own families, workplaces, schools, communities, because then and only then will we see God's kingdom breaking in with greater power and transforming our parish. The good news is God has begun to do that. We've seen lives changed. We've seen people coming to faith. We've seen people being healed. We've seen fresh hope coming to people who are grieving and in despair. But I believe that so much more is possible I believe we can see far more people coming to Christian faith, lives and relationships restored, new purpose and meaning in people's lives, 
and it's within our grasp. Not because we're clever or powerful in ourselves, but because of God's incomparably great power living in us. And so I, I, I think this is a huge priority for St. Matthew's. And so over the coming weeks and months, I, I'm going to work out with our discipleship map group how we can help everyone at St. Matthew's, not just to know about discipleship, but to do it, to be the people that God has called us to be. Yes, knowing God better, but importantly, knowing and seeing this great power for us who believe at work in our lives. So, you know, they say it can be dangerous sending your vicar to new wine because he can come back all fired up, new ideas, wanting to change everything. Let me put your minds at rest. That's exactly how I've come back. (laughs) But wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be great if we all learned to live in the power of the Spirit and saw our communities transformed by the love of Jesus? It's happening already to, to a, a degree. Re- remember one of the local councillors after the Mayfair? He said, St. Matthew's is becoming the conscience of Southcote. That's an indication that this church is making a difference in this community. And I, as I said earlier, there's a great opportunity on the 29th of August to come with this community barbecue we're, we're hosting and get to know some people in the community. Just build relationships. Don't have to preach to them just to start building relationships. So please do put that date in your diary, August the 29th. God is at work in us and through us. But let's all be praying that 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 would be happening more and more. And let's all be praying for more opportunities to share the love of Jesus with our local community. Amen.